Good morning. We are so glad that you are here to join together with us. We're grateful that you'd come to join together after we've had many nights of rain. Uh, thanks for being here together. Uh, my name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. Just want to welcome you. If you are a guest here this morning, I want to especially welcome you and invite you. We have a, a tailgate today after the service. We're going to go at the top of the parking lot here, or if you want to be in the grass, it's not that wet this morning, actually. Um, so hopefully by this afternoon it will be drier, but we're going to have some hot dogs and some chips and some water. If you brought something else, feel free to bring that. If not, we've got tons, uh, so um, we would love to have you. If you did not make plans to stay, make plans to stay. Uh, we would love to have you. Just a chance to fellowship after this long period of isolation and COVID and being apart. We just want to celebrate being together, and we want to celebrate the fellowship that we have in Jesus. So we welcome you to do that today, too. Um, that will be a wonderful time to just rejoice in the fact that God has brought us through this time and look forward to what he has in, in the year ahead. We'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 18, verse 38. We're going to reread the last two verses in, ver in chapter 18. Today is not your typical Palm Sunday message. It is Palm Sunday today. The message is not going to be a Palm Sunday because we are going through the book of John sequentially. We've been going through the book of John for, I think, 11 months now. And in God's providential timing, he has us in John 19, beginning of it. And then Good Friday, which we're having, by the way, Good Friday services this Friday night. We're going to get the second half of John 19. And then next Sunday, Easter Sunday, um, I love how God worked everything out. We didn't plan it this way originally, but next Sunday we get to celebrate John 20 as Easter Sunday as well, so Resurrection Sunday, looking forward to that too. Um, meanwhile, we are going to focus on, the, on the, the trial right before Jesus is handed over to be crucified. So turn in your Bibles to John 18, verse 38 through 19.16. This is God's holy, inspired word given for us today. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail Jesus, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that, that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. 
When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement in an era, may it Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to them to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for inspiring John by your Holy Spirit to write this account that we might behold you, our King. God, thank you that you have given your Son as King over all to take our punishment, to take our place. Jesus, I pray that we might see you more clearly, that we might respond to you, that we might love you, that we might behold you as our king, that we might respond to you and receive you as our king. I pray that you would enable all of us by your spirit to hear your words. It's only possible because of you, and I pray that you would just do that now. Open up our ears to hear. Open up our eyes to see you. Open up and soften our hearts. And Lord, enable me by your spirit to preach your words. In Jesus' name, amen. In World War II, right before it kicked off in earnest, the the countries of the world, they thought that they could remain neutral. Many countries in Europe, they tried to remain neutral. They tried to pacify. They tried to being neutral with Hitler. They tried to say, well, as long as we don't bother him, as long as we leave him alone, he won't bother us. But what they soon realized after Hitler invaded country after country, shortly after he invaded Poland, he took over, they realized it wasn't possible to be neutral. It's not possible to be neutral in the face of evil. It's not possible for evil to be neutral towards good. It's not possible for Christians to remain neutral. It's not possible for people to remain neutral to Jesus. The world is hostile towards Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in this account. The, the, the world is hostile towards Jesus, but it's not possible to remain neutral towards him. It's an impossibility. There's a lot going on in the text we just read this morning. We could, we could preach it about ten different ways, and I'm sure you've heard this text specifically preached a lot of different ways. I'm sure you've heard a lot of emphasis on this text. And what I want us to see, though, from this text is that it's not possible to be neutral concerning Jesus. And John seems to be driving the reader, driving the hearer to 
to reach a conclusion, to, to, to come to the end of the text and answer a question. You see, there's a question that John seems to be pushing on the reader, and it's, what will you do with Jesus? And he, he gets us to see that by, by showing us what, what everyone else has done with Jesus, what the, what the Jewish leaders did, what the Jewish people did, what the, the chief priests, the leaders of Israel did, what they did with Jesus. And then we see what Pilate did with Jesus. And then at the end of the account, we're really left contemplating what will we do what will our where is our response in this what we're going to consider is what we will do with Jesus in light of what they did with Jesus immediately we see when the people had a choice when they were confronted they were given this choice between Bar Abbas which means son of a father and the son of the father they, they rejected the king of peace, and instead they accepted a terrorist. John puts it that he was a robber. We see some color from the other stories, uh, the other accounts in the Gospels, that, that he was a terrorist. He was inciting a rebellion. He, he was no man of peace. He was the son of a father, but he was a robber. He was a terrorist. And when the people had a choice, they rejected Jesus, and they asked for a terrorist instead. They rejected Jesus and they asked for a terrorist instead. They wanted what they knew. They wanted what they felt less threatened by. So many times today, people feel threatened by Jesus and they accept what seems absolutely unacceptable because they're threatened by Jesus. Well, they reject Jesus, and then Pilate has to do something with them. Pilate could not remain neutral. The people were rejecting Jesus and instead accepting this counterfeit. And, and Pilate, he had to do something with Jesus. He, he told the Jews, he says, I find no guilt in him, but, but he couldn't just let him go. He had already said, he had already offered to let him go, and they said no, and they rejected him instead. And so Pilate here, he's forced He's forced to do something with him. And the first thing that we see, what, how does Pilate respond? He tries to avoid dealing with Jesus. So many times today, people try to avoid dealing with Jesus, thinking, if I just act like he doesn't exist, if I just ignore him, I won't have to deal with him. But the reality is you can't avoid dealing with Jesus. He is the preeminent figure in all of history. He is the defining figure in all of history. Um, we, we, our calendar itself is organized around Jesus. Pilate tries to avoid Jesus, avoid dealing with him. And the very next thing we see is that he takes Jesus and he thinks that maybe I can uh, avoid dealing with Jesus by, by flogging him, by, by punishing him, and then maybe that will satisfy the people and I won't have to deal with him if I punish him, it was no minor thing to flog a man. It was, it was gross, it was indecent, it was barbaric. Flogging was not an easy punishment to take. I think John probably winced at, at, at writing the details of it because probably in his mind's eye, he was remembering the, the gruesomeness of Jesus when Jesus is presented before them. You see, uh, when they flogged a person prior to crucifixion, it was, it was so brutal that often it would leave their flesh underneath exposed, their organs exposed. It would, it would strip them bare. They were bound to a post or a pillar and they were beaten until the torturers grew tired. 
They would flog them with a, a straps, a leather thongs fitted with spikes or pieces of bone. It's not surprising some prisoners collapsed and died under the savage procedure. And John writes this almost in passing. I think if you were reading this in the first century, it would have been jarring. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. He tried to avoid dealing with Jesus by punishing Jesus. But the abuse of Jesus, the innocent one, it didn't stop with this severe treatment. It didn't stop with the flogging. The soldiers, they harassed him. They, they mock him. At Pilate's command, the soldiers abuse Jesus. See, he's trying to avoid having to deal with Jesus by abusing him, by mistreating him. Thinking that if he does that, then the people will accept that as good enough. They'll see that Jesus is no threat and he doesn't have to be dealt with. And so they take this crown that they make, they fashion out of probably the, the thorn from the date palm. It had, had thorns up to 12 inches long and they fashion this crown, they jam it on his head. And, and he wears this crown on his head. In doing so, I, I don't think that was accidental by any means, not only for them, but in God's providence, it wasn't accidental. You see, when God is cursing man in the garden for his sins, one of the very first curses that God pronounces on man was that cursed will be the ground because of you. And it will bring forth thorns. Thorns were representative of the curse. They, they, they represented the very curse of mankind. And that curse was fashioned into a crown and placed on Jesus' head. Jesus bore the very symbol of the curse of Adam on his head. They put a royal robe of purple on him a robe that would be reserved for royalty, and they mocked him with it. They mocked Jesus. They pretended that he was no real king. Jesus was mistreated. He was abused, all in an effort to avoid dealing with him. Pilate goes out. He brings Jesus out again in verse 4. He takes him to him. He says, see, I'm bringing him out to you. I find no guilt in him. He was trying to avoid dealing with Jesus. He figured if he could abuse Jesus enough, if he could show how silly Jesus was, if he could show the fact that Jesus was not a threat, if he could show that Jesus was just a mere man, then maybe he and they would just get rid of him. So many people today try to mock and belittle Jesus. They abuse his name, abuse his followers thinking somehow that they don't have to deal with Jesus, but Jesus must be dealt with. Even under extreme duress, Jesus didn't sin. He admitted to no sin to get out of his torture. He was not trying to be punished less. He endured punishment. He endured torture for our sake. He bore the curse on himself for our sake. He bore our stripes, the stripes that we deserved. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sins when we set ourselves up as king, when, when the very first sin, Adam tries to set himself up as God, not acknowledging God as his true king, and that's what they do here, and yet Jesus bore that punishment that Adam deserved, that we deserve. Pilate tried to avoid Jesus, to get away, away from dealing with him, but that doesn't work. 
And so he switches tactics, as many people do when Jesus makes them feel uncomfortable. They try to abuse Jesus, try to abuse his followers, try to show how he's just a man, how he was weak. And yet Jesus is none of those things. He's not only a man, he's not weak. He was, in fact, the strongest man. And so Pilate then, he tries to humiliate Jesus and decrease his importance that way. That's what we see in verses 4 to 6. Pilate, he goes out again, and he says to them, See, I'm, I'm bringing him out to you that you might know that I find no guilt in him. So, so Jesus comes out. He humiliates Jesus publicly. Jesus comes out wearing this crown of thorns, wearing this purple robe, bleeding most likely from head to toe, marred, beaten, bruised, his face swollen from blows. Isaiah 52 prophesied of this and said, Many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of children of mankind. And he put Jesus forward to humiliate him, to show him that he's no threat, that he is no king. And he says, Behold the man. Meant to show how feeble, how weak, how harmless a man Jesus was. Maybe he also meant to solicit their pity because of how distorted he looked. Maybe he thought that if he could do that, if he could humiliate Jesus, then they wouldn't make him prosecute him, that they would let him go. But the spectacle of Jesus incites the crowds even more. And here the word of God, the, the word made flesh, the Son of Man stood before them and, they, and when Pilate says, Behold the Man, they didn't recognize Him as the Son of Man. And in fact, they barely recognize Him as a man at all. If you want to behold the love of God, you simply need to behold the man. Jesus taking our punishment, taking our mocking, taking our rejection and abuse, all because He loved us. Instead of beholding him as the ultimate man, they despise his very presence. And then it says the chief priests and the officers, they see Jesus dressed like this. They see him with this crown. They become in, indignant. They become angry. They didn't want him to be their king. They knew that meant something. That required something of them. They have to submit to him if he's their king. They have to submit to Jesus as the son of God if he truly is the son of God. That means that their laws don't reign supreme. He does. That means that, that they are not in charge, that he is. And because that means something, it threatens their way of life, it threatens their authority, it threatens their position, it threatens everything about them. Just like Jesus threatens everything about us. If he is truly the Son of God, he's truly the Son of Man, he is Word of God incarnate, he's the Word made flesh, then that threatens everything about us. And it says something about us, can... Can we submit to the king? Will we submit to him as the son of God? If so, that requires something from us. It requires a change. It requires dying to living for ourselves, living for him. It means that we follow him as our God, him as our king, and have no other king, no other God. And yet they cry out for his blood. In verse 6 it says, The chief priests, the officers saw him, they cry out, Crucify him, crucify him, Pilate says. Take him yourselves and crucify him. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. He's trying to get rid of him. He says, for I find no guilt in him. He didn't want to be personally responsible for crucifying an innocent man. Instead, he tries to, to pawn the crucifixion off on them. He tries to not deal with Jesus, but Jesus must be dealt with. 
Jews wanted Jesus to be crucified by the Romans. They wanted him to be humiliated publicly. They wanted him to be filed in their sight, cursed as he hung on a cross. And Pilate couldn't get rid of Jesus by humiliating him. And we see that it makes the Jewish leaders even angrier. And see, these Jewish leaders, they reject Jesus because they didn't like his claim of authority. That's what we see in verse 7. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they rejected Jesus because they didn't like his claim of authority. And isn't that true for each and every person today? Jesus makes a claim of authority. Look in verse 7, it says, We have a law, according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. That is true. He has made himself the Son of God because he is the Son of God. He always has been the Son of God eternally. And because he is the Son of God, he makes a claim of authority on each and every one of us. The question is, will we receive him as the Son of God or will we reject him and try to get rid of him? What will we do with Jesus? In our own lives, if you're a believer here, what will you do with Jesus? We profess often that Jesus is our Lord. We profess that he's the Son of God. We profess that he's our King. Do we live that way? What will we do with Jesus? What other gods do we make preeminent functionally over Jesus? When Pilate heard them say that he claimed to be the Son of God, Pilate became afraid. You see, Pilate was probably superstitious. He knew in his mind that, that it was possible for gods to come down to the earth. The Romans believed in this pantheon of gods, and so he thought, oh no, what if this really is a god coming down and he's testing us, and what if I'm in trouble because of that? I just flogged this man, and if he's God, I'm in trouble, and so Pilate's afraid because he knows that if Jesus is really a god, at least, that it would mean he has authority over him and there's reason to fear. And so Pilate's fearful. It says in verse 8, when, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Now we, we learn from Matthew that, that his wife had already told him, I have nothing to do with this man because she was much troubled in a dream about him. So Pilate's got this on his mind, something's wrong here, and then he hears the Son of God and so now he's terrified. If Jesus is truly supernatural and possibly a God and, and Pilate had just scourged him, that would mean something. So Pilate goes back to his headquarters quickly and he, he asks Jesus, where are you from? Trying to figure out if, if Jesus really is God. Did he come from the heavens? Did he come from Mount Olympus? Where did Jesus come from? But Jesus didn't answer him because Jesus did not have to answer to Pilate. Jesus has authority over Pilate. So Pilate, though, he gets frustrated with Jesus' silence. He gets frustrated because he's concerned about his own dignity and power. And then Pilate, he, he tries to assert his own authority. You see, Pilate, he feared Jesus' authority, but then he tries to assert his own authority over Jesus. That's what humankind does. We, at times, fear God's authority. We don't want anything to do with God's authority, and so we assert our authority over God as if we are the authority over him, as if we judge what is fair and right and good. Because it doesn't seem right or good or fair to us. And when we do that, we become like Pilate trying to assert our authority over God. Ultimately, because we fear giving up authority to God. Pilate fears Jesus' authority, but he asserts his own authority, and so Pilate says, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, authority to crucify you? He thinks he's in control. 
But Jesus is the one in authority here. He says, Jesus, at the very beginning, we heard last week, uh, at the beginning of last week's message, that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, and he went out to give himself over to the Roman soldiers. Jesus knew everything that was going to transpire. He knew that he was going to be lifted up. He knows that he is about to be crucified in this moment. And so he tells Pilate, he says that you wouldn't have any authority over me unless it was given to you. He sets Pilate straight. Pilate acts like he has authority, just like Adam acted like, just like we can act like we have authority to judge God. Jesus says, no, you'd have no authority unless it was given. Now he's referring to the fact that, that God has ordained the civil authorities. And so he tells Pilate, you have no authority unless it was given to you. So you have a lesser sin. He's not saying, Pilate, you're sinless. But you're acting badly, you're acting sinfully in the authority that was given to you. Pilate is judging badly, wrongly. He says, the greater sin belongs to the person, to the ones who betrayed me. Maybe speaking of Jesus or the chief priest. Knowingly rejecting Jesus, having that information is the greater sin. Knowingly rejecting the authority of Jesus knowing that he has authority and rejecting it is the greater sin. And yet how many people today know the authority that Jesus has, hear of it and reject him? Pilate evidently was impressed by Jesus and how Jesus was responding, how Jesus was behaving and acting, probably how Jesus took his punishment that was severe and yet he did not speak vile words towards Pilate. He didn't try to get out of things. He didn't try to manipulate. He didn't try to deceive. He didn't cower in fear towards Pilate. But Pilate still didn't want to receive Jesus. You see, Jesus makes a claim. And Pilate wasn't wanting to bow his knee to Jesus. He was impressed with him. And it says that he, he was, from then on, he was seeking to release him. He still didn't want to receive Jesus, but he had to do something with him. And so we see in verse 12 that Pilate sought to release Jesus to get rid of him. Maybe if I just let him go. Okay, I tried humiliating. I tried abusing him. I tried avoiding him. I couldn't do any of those things. Those didn't work. Tried refusing his authority, but I see that he probably really has authority. So maybe if I just let him go out of my life, if I release him, I want to get rid of him. So Pilate seeks to release Jesus to get rid of him. But Pilate's hands, they've been tied by the manipulation of the Jewish leaders. What they shouted next was a very thinly veiled threat. They shout back towards him. The second half of verse 12, they say, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Pushing Jesus away didn't work. Not dealing with him is not an option. Next we see the people, instead, they manipulate and they intimidate in order to get rid of Jesus. They can't stand the fact that Jesus makes a claim on them, that he claims to be the Son of God, that he claims to be the King of the Jews, that Jesus is claiming authority over them. That threatens who they, who they are. It means they have to change something. They have to give up some things. It means they have to live different in response. And instead, what they try to do is to get rid of Jesus, they try to manipulate and intimidate. And that's what we see in the world today. People try to manipulate and intimidate to get rid of Jesus. 
He said, if you're, you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. This, this title, friend of Caesar, it, it, it had become most likely by this time an official title that was given to people in authority, but only special people. Pilate was put in place by an imperial official named Sejanus. He, he was a friend of Pilate's. He put Pilate in place. Pilate had married the granddaughter of Caesar Augustus, and now Caesar Tiberius was in place, but Sejanus was a counselor to Tiberius, Pilate's mentor, and so he had suggested that Pilate be put in place, and so Pilate had, and he'd been given probably the title of friend of Caesar. And yet something had just happened probably a few months before this trial. Sejanus was suspected of sedition, and in Tiberius, he was a very suspicious emperor, very brutal, and so he purged his entire household of all of the entire uh, court of, of all of his advisors, and he killed Sejanus. And so Pilate's probably realizing his plight is in danger. His, his plight is, is tenuous, and he, his position is in danger. And so he, he's probably thinking, I don't dare oppose Caesar. If I give him any cause to think I'm disloyal, that would be bad. He didn't want to, risk, want to risk of making an enemy of Caesar by making a friend of Jesus. Isn't that what so many people do today? They don't want to run risk of making enemies of the world. Instead, they make enemies of Jesus. Instead of receiving the grace of God through Jesus, he rejects the grace of God, trying to keep Caesar's good graces. And he makes an enemy of God and remains a friend of Caesar. How many people today make an enemy of God by trying to befriend the world? Befriending Caesar. Rejecting the grace of God to be in the good graces of the world. And the choice is clear for us today. Who will we choose to be friends with, Caesar or Christ? Will we choose to oppose Caesar or Christ? Well, Pilate hears those words and it says in verse 13, he brings Jesus out, he sits down on this official judgment seat, the, the, this bema seat is what it was, the seat of judgment. And he brings this seat of judgment out officially. Instead of standing up with him, instead of being willing to explain the truth to Caesar, instead of, if need be, um, giving his life for what's right and good and true, he gives in to expediency and he takes the easy route for himself, just like people today are tempted to give in to expediency and take the easy route. But that's not how you can deal with Jesus. If you do that, you reject Jesus. There's no easy route. He thought, I can appease the people and keep my job. And in doing so, he angers God and loses Jesus. So often today, I know that I am tempted to appease people instead of pleasing God. So often today, it's easy to ignore and avoid people rejecting us, the world rejecting us, thinking we are silly, or to try to keep our jobs or our place or our good standing or the favor of our teachers trying to appease people and yet reject Jesus. Well, his pronouncement is just dripping with irony. Pilate, he was acting as judge over Jesus, who the Father has given the right to judge all men. Jesus is, in fact, the king of the Jews and the king of all people. 
And Pilate's acting like he has the ability to judge Jesus. Now look at what John, he inserts a commentary into this account. It's one of the only times in, in verse 39 and then in verse, I believe it's verse 39. Verse 39 and verse 14, the only two times that John interrupts this narrative. You see, this whole narrative is about the very beginning, what they're going to do with Jesus and what was done with Jesus. That's kind of framing up the entire narrative. And, and it's set in a, in a very important context. It's set in the context of the Passover. And so John mentions the Passover again. He mentioned the Passover in verse 39. He mentions the Passover again at verse 14. He looked down your Bible and says, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. Why is that important to know? You see, the day of preparation is when they would prepare lambs for slaughter. And it was the morning time. He says about the sixth hour is the morning time. The time when the lambs would be prepared for slaughter. Jesus here is being presented, prepared for slaughter. The Passover was celebrated because at that time... God ordained in Egypt that, that he was going to strike all the firstborn children of Egypt as punishment for their rejection, their refusal to obey God and their refusal to let the people go and their refusal to listen, to submit to God's rule, his reign, his authority. And so, so God was going to punishment, put poor punishment out on Egypt. And so he tells the children of Israel, I will make a way so you can avoid punishment, so you can be spared punishment. And what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm commanding you to, to slaughter a lamb for every family. Put your hope, your trust in the fact that as you take the blood of the lamb, you spread it over the lintel, uh, the top of the door, the sides, the posts of the door, so that the entrance into your home is covered. The entrance into where your family is, your life is, is covered by the blood of the lamb. And so year after year, it was, it was given as a mandate, and then year after year, Israel celebrated this, and they were just preparing for this celebration when they would all take the blood of the Lamb and spread it over them, covering them, showing that they were trusting in God's provision so they would not receive His wrath. And yet John tells us, verse 39 and then verse 14, now this was the day of preparation of the Passover. Jesus here is being prepared as the Passover lamb. He is not just telling us as a throwaway. John always has the details of the context for a reason and John wants us to see that this is the Passover lamb who is meant for us to receive as our lamb, not to reject, not to avoid, but to receive him as our Passover lamb so that we might trust in him, so that he might be the covering for our sins, so that we might avoid God's wrath. Trusting in his blood that's about to be spilt. Preparing to receive Jesus as our Passover lamb and yet the people in preparation for the Passover when Pilate says behold your king in verse 14 on the preparation of the Passover the people reject their true Passover lamb they want to get rid of their king and the last thing we see is the people they exchange the kingship of the world for their rightful uh, a kingship of Jesus for the for the <laughs> the rightful kingship of Jesus for the kingship of the world is what that should read sorry they exchange the rightful kingship of Jesus for the kingship of the world. 
Look at what they cry out. Look down your Bibles in verse 15. They cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And that's really a question that has endured through the ages, and that's a question for us. Shall I crucify your king? And, and look who answers him in verse 15. Did you notice that? Who is answering him in verse 15? Who, who answers him in verse 15? Just shout it out. Who, who answers him in verse 15? The chief priests, the people who are responsible for the worship of God, the people who are responsible for keeping the covenant, for leading the people in keeping the covenant. And what they do here is they reject God as king. They reject the God of the covenant. They reject the provision of the new covenant that God has made. And here they break covenant with God. This is the severing of any hope in the old covenant. This is the rejection of God as king by the people of Israel. It's actual and symbolic here, both. This long-awaited king stands before them, but they don't recognize him. They reject the very one in whom is the salvation of the whole world. They don't want Jesus as their king, even though he was and rightly is, and they say, away with him, away with him. How often mankind tries to send Jesus away? Away with Christianity. If, if, if we could just get rid of Christians, if we could just get rid of religion, then the world would be a better place, but you can't do that. It's not possible to remain neutral. The kingship of Jesus threatens our rule. It threatens our position. It threatens man-made religions. Accepting Jesus as king would have meant that they would have had to follow him. They would have had to repent. They would have had to obey him, to worship him, but instead they want to follow their own way. They refuse to repent. They refuse to obey God. They reject worshiping him. And as they speak those words, they say, we have no king. They reject God as king and they claim Caesar the world as their king. What will you do with Jesus is the question that John is driving at. Will you be like the religious leaders? Will you be like the people? Will you be like Pilate? Will you be like the world? They want to follow their own way and they refuse to repent. They refuse to obey God. And the same is true for all who refuse to claim Jesus as their king. They were, they were guilty of blasphemy. They were accusing Jesus of blasphemy and then yet they themselves as the chief priests publicly blasphemed. This is the height of blasphemy to claim that they have no king. You see, at no other point in, in, in history had the chief priest ever declared that. You never see in the Old Testament, even the chief priest, you never see the chief priest saying we have got no king and claiming another authority as their king. And yet this here is the closing of that history as they say we have no king but Caesar. They're rejecting God's covenant the Persians, the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Greeks, the Romans before them had never made him bow, yet they rejected Jesus because they could not take him as their king because it meant giving up themselves as king. They waited centuries for the coming of the Messiah and then when he stands before them, they give up the Messiah and deny him. They were dethroning God at the seat of judgment and thus calling down divine judgment on themselves. And so we read in verse 16, so he delivered him up over to them to be crucified. So we come to the close today. The question for us is, what will you do with Jesus? You cannot remain neutral. There is no neutrality. 
Either receive Jesus as your king or seek to crucify him. Pilate tries to get rid of Jesus by making a deal. There are no deals. You cannot get rid of him. You cannot avoid dealing with him. Pilate sought self-preservation instead of accepting Jesus, receiving Jesus as king. Instead of acknowledging Jesus as king, he he tried to preserve himself. He tried to to keep himself. And Jesus said, if you you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake... You'll find it. We see Jesus, this real man, this representative man, suffering in our place, entering into our suffering, entering into taking our suffering, taking our curse, taking our humiliation, taking our pain, taking the punishment we deserve, suffering physically, suffering emotionally, suffering abuse and mocking and belittling. You see, Jesus understands. He is the king when you receive. He takes on all of the abuse that we deserve. He takes on all of our humiliation. He takes on all of our shame and suffering all of our humiliation so that we might stand boldly before the throne of grace. So we might come into God's presence boldly with no shame, with no fear of punishment, with no fear of wrath, with with the curse having been removed and put on him. We can come as we receive Jesus as our king, we put confidence in him and we can come boldly and not fear rejection by anyone because he has received us as we receive him as our king. You don't have to try to preserve anything because he's the one who preserves us. He keeps us faithful to the end. He will actually, who took the crown of thorns, will crown us with a crown of righteousness. Jesus faced the charges we should face before the judgment seat of God. He faced our charges and stood in our place. Pilate asks him, what, is, what have you done? It, it's, it's mirroring the words that when Jesus, when, when God came to Adam and Eve in the garden and he asked Eve in Genesis 3.13, he goes to, to Eve and he says, he says, what is this you've done? But see, Eve had rebelled. She had sinned. She had refused to have God as her king. Pilate asked Jesus, what is this you've done? reversing the effects of the garden. You see, Jesus had done nothing wrong. And he took the punishment for all of us who have done wrong. And when Pilate asked Jesus, what have you done? Jesus stood silent. He took the place of all those whose mouths have been stopped before the throne. And he was condemned for us. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. If you receive Jesus, no condemnation remains, no guilt remains, no shame remains, no humiliation remains. He understands our suffering. He understands the difficulties we go through. But the question remains, what will you do with Jesus now? Let's pray. Man, if you go ahead and come up, we'll, we'll sing.